Welcome to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. Well, today we're going to be looking at the world of political advisors, often simply referred to as SPADs. And our guests today are perfectly placed to take us inside Whitehall and understand what it is that SPADs really do. So we have two fantastic guests for today's pod with a wealth of experience who have advised some of the most senior politicians in the country for both the Conservative and Labour Party. We're going to look at the role of political advisors, as I said, often referred to as badge. We've got uh, Hannah Gurren. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hannah's worked for the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, as well as for a former Deputy Prime Minister, Therese Coffey, uh, and then recently was with Grant Shapps before departing government. That's right. And we've got Martin McCluskey with us also. Welcome, Martin. Hi, great to be here. Martin is a former political advisor who served in a number of roles in both Westminster and Holyrood. Uh, For 2012 to 2016, he was political advisor to two shadow Scottish secretaries and also advised the shadow cabinet during the 2014 referendum and 2015 general election and served more recently from 2016 to 17 as political director of the Scottish Labour Party. So... I thought we'd start with a kind of standard definition, uh, which I just took from the Institute of Government of Special Advisors, which is they are political appointees to support minister shadow ministers that give a party political advice and support where appropriate uh, with the civil service, particularly with SPATs. Um, but just to kind of warm us up, I thought we'd go, Hannah, maybe to you first. The question as a former SPAD I get asked most is how do you become a political advisor. So how did you become a political advisor? It's such a good question um, and one a lot of people ask me too. If I'm honest, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it. A lot of people follow a set trodden path through CCHQ or the headquarters of whatever political party they're from. Actually, for me, it was completely spontaneous. Um, I'd worked in government before, worked, had the pleasure of working with lots of secretaries of state, lots of ministers. And frankly, I just wanted to be a bit closer to the action and um, I still wanted to serve the public. So it felt kind of the perfect fit. But in honesty, it was just pure luck and chance. And Martin, how did you find your way into working as an advisor for the Labour Party? It's slightly circuitous. So in 2011, the local MP in the, the, the place that I'm from in Inverclyde, um, he passed away very young and very unexpected. And um, he was a bit of a mentor to me um, in the years leading up to that. And so I decided to throw my hat in the ring for a by-election, which at that point was a by-election in a safe Labour seat. Um, didn't get anywhere with it, kind of got through to the selection um, that was not the candidate. But that by-election was just a couple of months after the 2011 defeat at the Scottish Parliament elections for Labour. And coming back and talking to members, I thought, this this is something bad was happening. You could tell something bad was happening to the Scottish Labour Party at that point. And as a Labour Party member since the age of 16, I thought I want to come back and help out with this and also with the referendum on the horizon. So I spent a year looking for a way in and um, did some uh, work with the Shadow Scottish Secretary. At that point, it was Margaret Curran. Um, and that was kind of around Christmas 2011. And then um, she ended up having a vacancy in the summer of 2012 for a political advisor and said, basically, you've you've done the job before. Would you like to come and work with me? And I sort of better hand off at the chance. So it wasn't something that I planned to do as such. Um, and my route in was a little bit, you know, not, not an obvious one. Um, but it was really a case of being in the right place at the right time more than anything else. 
it's interesting that you say that, Martin, because it's a bit like politics, I think, in general. I know as MPs, we were always told, you know, getting selected and elected is always a matter of right place and right time. And I'm intrigued to hear from both yourself and Hannah, because James obviously gave that definition of you're there to advise, obviously, uh, the person that you're working for. I suppose the interesting thing here is, how is that relationship? Because, of course, you know, in both your cases, you're working for a senior minister within uh, or shadow minister. But of course, you've got a leader of a political party. Does the leader of the political party really direct what you guys do? Or are you directly there to serve the person who's hired you? Is your job to be that Praetorian guard around the Secretary of State or the shadow Secretary of State? If I go to you first, Martin. My case is kind of unique because I didn't just have one leader, I had two leaders. So we had the leader of the Scottish Labour Party and the leader of the UK Labour Party. And that was often a large part of my job was navigating the relationships between both sides and with the principal, whose job was basically to act as almost in opposition, sometimes as a go between between um, those two people. So, you know, I always saw my first loyalty to the person I was working for. So initially that was Margaret Curran and then it was Ian Murray after the 2015 um, election. But, you know, both of them were politicians whose interests overlapped with the interests of the party. So I didn't find myself coming into conflict frequently with either the UK or the Scottish leadership. You know, there were difficult moments. There were obviously tensions in that. Um, and I think push when push comes to shove, I would have been, you know, with the person who... Um, who I was serving as an advisor to, um, but I, I think I was quite lucky in that you know there there wasn't so many of those points of tension throughout the throughout the time I was working for both of them. And you, Hannah? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've obviously worked with lots of secretaries of state, so it's been really important for me to gain their trust. And I think, um, as you've just said, you want to avoid tension at all costs. So I think for me, you definitely need to be uh, the person who's advocating for for the Secretary of State. But also you've got to try to find balance between being the bridge between that person and particularly between number 10 and the rest of government. So, you know, there's a manifesto to deliver. There's lots of priorities that need to get done. And you're only really, really going to get that done as a team. So I think... What makes a good spad, um, maybe we'll come on to this, is the ability to be that bridge between uh, the two. And I think, uh, yeah, it's it's sometimes hard because not everyone agrees. Uh, and there'll definitely be times where uh, there are areas of disagreement. But I think if you can kind of play both, uh, it's it's quite a strong hand to play. One of the things that's come up on a few of the episodes we've, we've already recorded is the kind of environment that you end up working in politics is quite close knit. You spend, you know, it's it's long hours, it's high pressure. That normally forms kind of friendships, lasting bonds. As you said, it's about it's about gaining the trust of people. So, you know, are you do you, would would you do you maintain contact with the people that you've worked for, Anna? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first and foremost, you have to like the people that you're working for. Do you? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like honestly, you spend so much time with them. If you don't like them, you're going to have a miserable time. Do you, think you grow, do you think you grow to like them? Yes, that's probably a good way to put it. If there are things you don't like, maybe you grow to appreciate them or you grow to work around them. But definitely you've got to find a coping mechanism because honestly, you spend so much time with them and particularly with your team. So it's often not just you, it's the team around you. There are, you know, not just spads, but officials, the private office. If you're not working together and if you don't like each other, you're going to have problems. Mm. Is that the same for you, Martin? I'd agree with that. I think it's slightly different in opposition because, you know, Hannah's situation would have been, you know, sat in a department with a large private office. My situation was working, I was the only political advisor for the Shadow Scottish Secretary when I did it the first time round. And 
you're working with the parliamentary office and a little bit with the constituency office, you know, so the relationship is even, it's even more concentrated. Um, and certainly in the period that I worked with Margaret, very intense, you know, kind of 2012 to 2014 ahead of the referendum, very high stakes, very, very intense, constantly on the road. And then 2014 and then in the run up to the 2015 election, which was obviously a very difficult campaign. And then she lost her seat at the end of it. They, they were, they were just a series of very, very intense moments. And I think if I think back on it, you know, I was spending probably more time with with Margaret at that point than I spent with anyone else in my life at that point in time. Um, so what, and that's not an exaggeration. Like, you know, if it was a, if it was a big media day or if we were traveling between Scotland and London, you'd be starting at five, six in the morning, pick her up in a taxi. And if she was on news night at 10 o'clock, we'd be leaving each other at 11 PM outside of our flat, you know? So it was, it was a, a very intense, um, intense kind of professional relationship. Um, and, you know, in both cases, both with Margaret and Ian, they're both relationships that I've carried on and would consider them friends now and see them fairly regularly. Um, and I think that's, I think it would have been impossible, like Hannah said, if 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 you didn't like these people, it would be impossible and it would just make your life hell. Um, and that's not to say there aren't difficult moments. Of course there are. But, you know, like any kind of strong friendship relationship you kind of work your way through that um and you know the good days are hopefully better than the bad that's really interesting because from what i've observed when i was a pps parliamentary private secretary for those who are tuning in um to brandon lewis secretary of state for northern ireland at the time i certainly saw the relationship as very much you become part of the extended family to be perfectly frank where literally you know you might be going around their house for dinner with their own family because you've got so much to do so that that relationship is absolutely vital i suppose what i'm interested by as well then is how you interact particularly probably more with you hannah but of course martin you would have done it with the scottish uh, parliament as well the civil service because ultimately if you're there trying to make sure your boss gets their policy agenda through the department that the uh, the preparation for oral questions urgent questions uh, obviously statements made on the floor of the house media around etc how important is it to, or how easy is it to have that relationship with the civil service because are you treated with suspicion by them or do you tend to find they're actually quite open uh, and it's about but it's about relationship built on trust yeah i definitely think it's about relationship built on trust i think when you walk into the building you are immediately labeled as the spad um and i actually found that quite dehumanizing when i walked in i insisted everyone called me hannah um but you're right you've, you've really got to build that trust quickly um and accept from day one you aren't going to be the expert in everything and actually you need the help of your officials to get stuff done. And I think they really want to work with you. It's often about just building really strong foundations, good relationships, and ultimately being honest with them about what's going on. If I look back to all of the successes we had across really difficult policy areas, be that dealing with um, Nationality and Borders Act, tricky immigration cases, you know, awful terrorist events, it was all because we were able to work as a team. And I think uh, if you respect people, if you bring them in, if you bring them into the tent, if you um, collaborate with them in a helpful way, you know, you're going to get things done. And that's that's what we try to do all of the time. Um, obviously, there are going to be things where maybe you don't agree, and that's fine. But you need to work through that together. Shutting shutting them out just doesn't work. And Martin, out of interest, because obviously you're interacting with the Scottish Parliament as well as obviously the UK Parliament. How easy was it to engage with civil service, in particular as an opposition party? Like, how much access do you actually get? 
Yeah, basically none. Like there was, you know, there was some um, engagement around, as you might expect, around the uh, twenty fourteen referendum. Like, you know, the the government were publishing papers. We would talk to them about what was in some of those papers. That was about as far as it went, um, but very little. I think that the point that Hannah makes about relationships, I suppose, for me, that would have been the relationships with other political advisors within the Labour Party, with the Labour Party's policy unit, and also with the, the, the Labour Party staff in the Scottish Parliament. And, you know, like I said at the outset, a lot of what I was having to do on a daily basis with balancing these relationships um, and... I think when we got real successes, I think more than any other role, the Shadow Scotland office role really depends on leveraging relationships with the other pads um, and leveraging relationships with the other portfolios because that was where you got you know your policy successes. There's very little policy within the Shadow Scotland team. So it was actually spending a lot of time with other political advisors, whether that was like the Home Affairs, the Shadow Treasury people, and doing the same with our spokespeople in the Scottish Parliament. And and you know, like Hannah said, it's it's the same thing in opposition. You you get your successes when you're working effectively as a team. Um and when that doesn't happen, that's often when you have the you know the most difficult time. Big fans of the thick of it. And this is why James and I had great fun planning this episode, because you know, we see you as the real Malcolm Tuckers. Uh out of interest, Hannah then you as you said you went into department did you ever come across a Terry or a Robin? <laughs> no comment. Um, look, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a yes. Um, I don't think anyone would ever compare me to Malcolm Tucker either. Slightly different style. Would they compare James to Malcolm Tucker? Uh, oh, easy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no comment again. I'm such I'm turning into a politician here. Um, <laughs> look, yeah, obviously, uh, I should have said as well in the Home Office, things are going wrong all of the time and you're juggling so many things. So um, the relationships are just so important. To be honest, you don't have time to be horrible. You don't have time um, to waste kind of, know not getting things done uh when 40 things are coming at you um when people need decisions when um you know secretary of states in meetings when number 10 are on the phone it's all go and frankly you do just want a friend in there as well and that's why you know you can have your relationship with your secretary of state but ultimately you want that private office around you to really to really help you being a spad can be quite lonely actually um, and you need a team around you that are going to help you. Because um, again, if you don't, like you, you, you're not going to succeed. Can you get, or have you ever met then, your Ben Swains? And I'm sure James would say I'm one of those. But have you, what are the Ben Swains of this world like working with MPs? <laughs> is that the MP? Yes, he is. You don't know Ben Swain, James? Is he the one that messes up the Newsnight interview? In uh, yes, James. Yeah. If you go and watch Ben Swain, I'm sure you'll send me a note saying this looks remarkably like I you. I mean, I think we could do a whole podcast on your interviews, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try not to for now. Let's... I mean, on the, so the, the question I was going to ask you both, which we kind of touched on the different roles that you feel and the amount of time you spend with them. One thing that's always struck me is I wonder if almost, you know, every spad pad almost sees their job differently. You know, what's the... The purpose, like how much of a viewer you allowed yourself, how much do you work to the the kind of principle, the party, etc. So, I mean, Martin, like, what what did you see as the main purpose as an advisor of your role? Is it to kind of deliver what they want? Is give them very specific advice on what they should do? It was very much a delivery job for me, and I think this is where my experience might be slightly unique because of the department that I was shadowing. You know, and a lot of what we were doing was a communications exercise. So, a lot of what, and I did come particularly with a communications background, but a lot of what I ended up doing was, you know, liaison with the media, especially with the Scottish journalists who were part of the the lobby in Westminster at that point in time. You know, that that ended up being a lot of the job because a lot of the time what you were trying to do was translate whatever the Shadow Cabinet were saying 
into something that would make sense for readers, viewers in, in Scotland and making sure that on the other side of it, the whole shadow cabinet had a sense of what the impact of what their policies were going to have in, 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 in the Scottish context. So a lot of the time, you know, there's a, there's a Twitter account, I would often joke, the Twitter account that exists now called That's Devolved, and all it does is tweet out That's Devolved when people make a mistake. And I think that was part of my job for about three years, was just turning around to members of the Shadow Cabinet and going, That's Devolved, That's Devolved. That's devolved. <laughs> so, so my job faced in a lot of different directions at different points in time. You know, as I said at the start, first loyalty was to the person that I was working for, but, you know, to make that effective, the whole Shadow Cabinet needed to be working effectively. Um, when it came to Scotland. So a lot of my job was doing that. And then in the other direction, talking to colleagues up in up in Hollywood, it was making sure that, you know, that those relationships were working well. Um, you know, so it it, cha- it shifted a lot over time. And after the after the twenty fifteen defeat and when I went to work for Ian Murray, it became much more policy focused because at that time we were thinking about you know, the Scotland Act, the Smith Commission, what more powers were going to be devolved. It turned into much more of a policy role after 2015. Um, you know, so it, it really depended on what we were facing at that particular point in time, what would dominate the role. I mean, Hannah, I certainly, I don't think it's unfair to say I've seen special advisors who are quite happy to push what I would view as their own agenda, you know, actually progressing policy quite far internally before it goes to a to a principal sector of state, where, where where did you see your role? Where did you see that balance between what you yourself th- should think should happen, or views on policy, etc., and you know where it's up, where where you take the kind of steer from from the boss or the or number ten or whatever it is. Yeah, I personally never saw my role as trying to convince people what I thought we should do. Um, from my perspective, we had a very clear manifesto that we were trying to deliver. Uh, Priti Patel was completely delivery focused um so my job was really to help her get stuff done and that's the kind of approach I took I think for me I just tried to help people achieve what I knew we needed to achieve and bring people together to try and get there we had huge amounts of legislation to deliver from crime court sentencing act to nationality and borders bill to you know ending free movement um these weren't small things and we just didn't really have any time to waste on sort of pet projects so um, I think I'd, I'd agree, like a lot flows from how your Secretary of State approaches things. Mine was very clear. She wanted me there to help her get stuff done. You definitely layer on that political advice um, and you definitely try to communicate that to the public and hopefully try and show them why what we're doing is good. That was a huge part of my job. But ultimately, um, I did spend a lot of my time working with officials getting really to the heart of problems to try and to try and sort them out but just just to touch on it then you mentioned that the layer on the political advice is that maybe where the where the kind of gap is then so the, there's a there's a difference perhaps between pursuing your own policy agenda which i think probably we both have seen certain people do in government and at, and, the, and there's a difference between that and saying if you do this this or this this is what potential outcomes this is how it's going to land with mp is that is that the difference I would say so. I think um, the difference in value that you can add is because you have so much political knowledge or understanding of how things are going to land, whether that be with the lobby, with the public, with MPs, you can help formulate policy in a way that's going to work. And ultimately, you want stuff to work. There's no point delivering a fantastic policy if actually it's going to fall apart in four days. And I think you know, I think officials would say that's where SPADs can really add value because they ultimately want to do their best. They want to deliver. So when you're able to add that and bring that value so that they get the right answer, everybody's happy. 
Martin, you uh, talked about obviously the role not being necessarily just a policy advisor, but you would also engage with the media and obviously actually engaging with other secretary, shadow secretary of state, obviously reminding them what's, what's devolved and what isn't. How much is the job about learning on the go versus like, could someone go who wants to one day be a SPAD and pick up some books somewhere? Or is it literally trial and error in some cases? It's trial and error. And you also have to, I think you have to be prepared to fail at times you have to be prepared to fail and learn from your mistakes and i think if you're going into it thinking that there's a if you do think there's a book that you can read where you're going to get all the advice on how to do it i i think that that's a recipe for disaster like you need to you need to be prepared to go in to remember that the people who are elected are the ones with the mandates that was something i was always very clear about um you know and you take your steer from them you're there to deliver for them and then really just get about it and and try to do your best now if you think you won't slip up at some points then you know that you're kind of going nowhere if you don't think you're going to slip up but you need to be ready and prepared to learn from from failure um and you know if i think back to the very early days of doing the job like you know i was coming into this from you know beforehand i worked in the public sector and i worked for a charity and then you know get dropped into you know, the, uh, into Scottish politics again on the front line, and that was very sharp. Like you can, you know, you, you you talked about Malcolm Tucker earlier. I'm not saying that everyone was like that, but you know, there's, there's there was still that strand in Scottish politics that's quite, you know, quite tough, quite bruising. Um, and I think that was probably the first the first kind of lesson that I learned was like, you know, a lot of these things that, you know, good working practices that might have put you in a good, you know, in a in good stead within the public sector and within um, the charity sector are not necessarily always the ways that you have to deliver things when you're up against people who don't behave in that way. So you need to you need to completely change the way that you 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 work at some points. And I think there's no book that's going to teach you how to do that. It's just something you have to go in and and understand and learn from. You said that obviously it's quite a, I suppose we've done a great advert for Specialised, haven't we? We've said that you work incredibly long hours and basically don't see your own family or your own, have your own life. That uh, obviously you can feel quite lonely. You're on the road nonstop. You're dealing with a hundred different things. One thing I'm always interested in, and probably more for you, Hannah, on this one, is about your job security. Because this is something I wasn't aware of when I became an MP. But reality is, like, how tied are you to the f- success of your boss in terms of keeping your job? absolutely which is why your first loyalty is always to them uh it's true i mean you could be sacked any day um particularly if your secretary of state moves on you just go with them so uh, it can be quite brutal personally i never thought about it because i thought thinking about it isn't going to do me any good and also uh you know some things you just can't control um so yeah, you go with them. And if you're lucky enough, um, they might take you to another department. Um, but if not, then then you're out, which is why I think it's really important you use every day that you have and you remember what the privilege you, you know, you have. And, uh, you know, why you should try and use every day when you're working all those hours um, to try and actually get stuff done and move things forward. So it's fair to say for both of you, when it comes to reshuffles, that's quite, a, that's a very stressful, anxiety heavy situation, Martin. Yeah, I, I used to joke that when I moved from working for Margaret when we had 42 Scottish Labour MPs to working for Ian when we had one, 
um, that that was the best job security ever had and one of the upsides <laughs> of only having one of you. But the, the irony was um, Ian then resigned and they put a Northern English Labour MP in as Shadow Scottish Secretary. So my job was actually more secure when we had 42 than, than one. But it, but it is anxiety-inducing. And you know, even if you feel like um, you know your, your Shadow Minister is relatively secure, you never quite know what calculations have been made within the leader's office, what deals have to be made, who has to be moved around to please certain factions at different times. So even if you feel pretty secure, there's always that threat hanging over you. And I think I was I was fairly lucky um, in that I got, what, over five years of employment in the Labour Party, which is a long time. You know, when you look at most of these roles, it's kind of two, three years for most people. It, it was a long time. Um to, to kind of hang on to the job but at some point it has to it's always going to come to an end um we touched on some of the skills you mentioned martin a, a, a moment ago that you have to kind of learn a lot of new ways of doing things what one of the things that always runs through my head is there's obviously a certain career path that perhaps i've taken which is quite standard for a former special advisor <laughs> um but I kind of sometimes dwell on like, what does it actually, if you boil it down, what does what skill set does it leave you prepared? Are you actually any good at anything? <laughs> or are you a bit of a kind of political Liam Neeson in that you have a very specific set of skills that are good for one thing, you know, good for good for living in the Westminster bubble, if you like, the, the village, as it was put the other day? Or, you know, are there skills that you can take and make you, and does it make you better at doing jobs on the outside? I don't know if you have a view on that, Hannah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you got to prepare yourself for the for the for outside the bubble. I think you just become good at a lot of stuff, uh, particularly dealing with crises and being able to cope in any situation, particularly with people that might not agree with you or you know difficult, just difficult situations in general. Um, so yeah, for me, I think um, you know I learned an awful lot throughout each department. I learned different things um, in the Home Office. It was literally dealing with you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, but in the Department for Health and Department for Business, you know, had a lot of opportunity to uh, to sit down and talk with, you know, lots of people about different things. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I feel like I'm a jack of all trades, master of none, possibly. <laughs> Is that the same for you, Martin? To, to an extent, I think one of the things that, that these jobs sometimes do is you come out the end of it and you actually feel quite de-skilled. And also because it's often the end of these jobs are quite bruising experiences, you take quite a long time to kind of pick yourself back up and you have to go through this process of thinking quite methodically, like, what is it I can do? And I think people either then seem to fall into two camps. I think some people overestimate what they can do and try and pitch themselves to basically you know, run large organisations immediately. And that's maybe not where... I, our political advisors' strengths are. And I think other people actually don't really are at the other end of the spectrum and sometimes think that they aren't able to do things that they've probably been doing without even thinking for a number of years. And I think what these jobs do leave you with is, you know, especially in the labour market, where you have to adapt a lot more quickly to kind of changes in all um, walks of life and in all industries. Um, I think these jobs probably equip you better for that than any other role that I can think of. Do you think... We're now entering a time where we're becoming to learn more about advisors. You know, there was a time, wasn't there, when advisors are there to advise. They should never be in the media. The moment they are, they should be out. So we're now in a situation, however, where we've had some high-profile advisors. Are you uh, thinking about anyone in particular, Jonathan? I'm Well, I'm not naming anyone. <laughs> but uh, I'm saying we've had some high-profile advisors who are obviously have been in the media. Is there now an additional pressure, whereas in the advisor is as newsworthy as the person that they're serving, the MP? I think 
potentially yes but i think that risk i think that's always been there to one extent or another um and i think for the vast majority you know hannah might correct me if i'm wrong in terms of looking at this from a government point of view but i think for the vast majority of advisors they are just behind the scenes getting on with the job and i think i very much always thought about it you know during that period when i was working for the party it wasn't my job to you know, make my views known or to kind of push myself to the front. I was there doing a job for the individual who I was working for. Um, you know, and then I think there's always going to be individual cases. There has been for like 20, 30 years where you get like, you know, a story about whether it's Alistair Campbell or, you know, it, it, there's always been those stories. I think there's always going to be individuals, but I think for the most people, they're just, they're just back there in their offices getting on with the job and doing what they should be doing. How about you, Hannah, on that one? Yeah, I think... <sighs> Obviously, everyone chooses to do their job in in their own way. Um, but for me and a lot of my colleagues and um, you know, people who are still there now, I think they are just getting on with the job. They're behind the scenes, sorting stuff out, and um, you know, from making the coffee to making helping make extreme policy decisions. I think a lot of them would feel actually, you know, they don't really want to be in the spotlight. Um, you know, they're there to advise, not decide ultimately. And we we kind of we talked we referenced it earlier. I guess bads are probably most depicted in the thick of it. That's where most people know them from. I always personally think that Yes Minister is actually a much better uh, depiction of how, how Whitehall really went, runs. But I'm curious in both of your views, like, do, do you think there's ever been an accurate depiction of SPADs? Or do you, I mean, I guess a lot of people probably, all they know is Dominic Cummings and Alistair Campbell, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Yes Minister is pretty accurate, right? And I love it. Like, if I'm going to wind down and uh, that's definitely something I would watch just to, to take the edge off the day um, yeah I think look, everyone does do it in their own way so it's quite hard in the same way you can't say this is the rule book this is the job description go and do it you've just got to get in there and work out uh, how you're going to achieve what you need to achieve and uh, hopefully you get there um, like Martin when if when you were saying to your family, "I'm off to do this job for the Labour Party," there was—I mean, I, I don't know if you had this. Like my dad's like, well, "What exactly is that?" And then when I tried to explain it to him, my dad's response was, "That doesn't sound like a proper job to me." And I, I, I wonder if you know how how would how did you explain <laughs> it to kind of to to your family to say this is what I'm doing and did it does it make sense? I don't know. Oh, it was it, it was very difficult. Like I think most people kind of had a sort of slightly blank look in their face when you say you were off to be a political advisor. I think most people don't really know what that don't really know what that means and that's kind of the way it should be like you know as, as we've kind of gone over already today it's like political advisors special advisors are not there to make decisions they're there to advise but but on on the point and and the question just a moment ago in terms of like you know behaviors and the thick of it and that kind of thing like you know i think the reason why these shows are true to life is because they're portraying an exaggerated version of what is happening or what you know has happened. So are there people who I could see fitting into some of those stereotypes? Um, whether it's yes, Minister or the thick of it, yes. You know, are they? Give us names, Martin. Uh, Go every, on. Give us names. <laughs> is, every, <laughs> is everyone like that? Absolutely not. You know, like we said before, people are mostly just kind of getting on, on with their on with their jobs. But I think the other thing, I think things are changing. I feel that things are changing. Like you know, the the advisors in the Labour Party that I speak to now seem to have a very different experience than the one that I had. You know, five six years ago. You know, so I think I think people's kind of behaviours and way of working has shifted a lot over the last five years um and i think that's probably for the better um than than you know potentially where we were before i obviously made a joke earlier but i am generally interested about relationship between special advisors and members of parliament because of course your secretary of state or your mp who's a shadow minister 
is an elected MP. They'll have the phone numbers of people within their party and maybe those in the opposition. They will be in the chamber. They'll be chatting in the voting lobbies or in the tea room, etc. Do special advisors ever get to a space, or policy advisors, sorry, get to a place where they interact on a regular basis with MPs? Or is that purely dependent upon the principle that they serve and how much they want their special advisors to engage with uh, the elected members in Westminster? I had a really good relationship with a lot of the MPs that I had to work with. Like Obviously, my, the main MPs that I was dealing with on a daily basis were Scottish Labour MPs when we had 42 of them at Westminster. And I'd, I had a good relationship with all of them, and I would have conversations with most of them, some more than others. Um, and I think that really helped um, that if, if, if they had an issue that they wanted kind of raised up to the leadership, they knew that I was there, that they could, they could communicate that to me. Um, and obviously... You know, my boss had the equivalent of a kind of PPS as well, and you know those forty-two MPs. It was it was a it was like a kind of extended family. That's where the extended family was probably more on the opposition side was among those other MPs, and I think they just saw me as the extension of of my boss in the office, and so they would see they would come to me. I would go to them. It was fairly straightforward. And Hannah, I'm interested with yourself because obviously, having been working for someone who was a Secretary of State as uh, Martin Lutu, we have PPSs. MPs whose job is to essentially the bag carriers is nicknamed in Westminster but their job is obviously to support the uh, Secretary of State in the House be the eyes and ears of what's going on in the background but also to help the Secretary of State get their information out uh, about what they're doing any new policy coming forward how did you find interaction with MPs or did you go just purely through the PPSs and use them as the route to uh, delivering what you, you were trying to do? Well, firstly, you're more than a bad carrier, Jonathan. Um, but oh, you're very kind. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want I, I don't want to big up my CV too much. You know. Uh. Um, I think it does depend uh, kind of how your secretary of state wants to do it. Um, when I worked for the Home Secretary Priti Patel, she was very clear that MPs were an extension of our team. Um, they were serving their constituents. They were serving the public, and you know we needed to treat them with like, absolute respect. So they're a big part of our team. And I think you really have to listen to them because they know a lot of what's going on and they have really good ideas and they need a channel to put those ideas up so that they can be heard. So working really closely with them is actually a very good idea. And it really helps, particularly when you want to land an announcement because you've brought them in early on. So I think um, not only does it help kind of just like create a good, good vibes between um, Secretaries of State and the party, it also has huge benefit in being able to actually deliver better outcomes for the public. Um, and also it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's so much going on in Westminster, like debates, parliament, um, oral questions. You know, you've, you've got to have good Leadership relationships. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> um, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, don't um, worry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you need them. And ultimately you want your backbenchers to be on your side. You want them to ask the right questions when you're home, you know, home secretary or secretary of state is up answering um, difficult questions. So um, the answer is yes, they're an integral part to this machine and um, your job is to keep them happy, but also take on board their ideas and, and try and help as much as you can. I, I think just one one thing to add on that, that that's slightly different from the opposition point of view is obviously as an opposition advisor, you're working in parliament, you know, you're not in a department. Um, which I think probably changes the dynamics with regards to MPs quite a lot because you're bumped into them in the coffee queue, you're bumped into them in the bar, you know, you're seeing them around and about on a regular on a regular basis. In some cases, you're working in the same office as another one of them if you're in Port Collis House. So it, it's it's really impossible for political advisors working in opposition not to have that contact with MPs because they're just around you all the time. You know, you've seen it up close. You've seen MPs up close. You've seen what they do. Do, did you feel pretend Jonathan's not here? 
Did that make you feel more or less, you know, desirable to go on and try and become an MP? Did you go away from it thinking there's absolutely no way I want that, just a terrible job? Or did you think, you know, actually, you know, I've been able to advise, but I'd like to decide, you know, I'd, I'd like a crack at it. I don't know, Martin, what about you? Well, I've, I've stood in two general elections, so obviously I'm a masochist from that point of view of having watched <laughs> up close and then decided I wanted to, wanted to do it. Um, but I think, you know, it, for me, it comes from, as an advisor, like you've just said, you're there to advise, you know, it, and sometimes it can be frustrating that you're not able to decide. And I think maybe this is also just because of the way I always looked at it, like I said before, the, you know, for me, it was these people are elected, you're not at the end of the day you know, you're not the one around the table making the decisions. And I think part of the reason I wanted to stand is because I'd quite like to be one of the people making the decisions. Um, and, you know, so stood twice and, you know, got into it with my eyes wide open. I think that is actually something that is, is an advantage that, you know, where I ever successful in the future in an election, I know exactly what I'm getting into. Mm. Um, there's going to be no sort of surprise at the end of it, which I think is for some people when they come to Parliament for the first time, I, I saw this a bit after 2015, there is a kind of real culture shock, um, in, both in terms of how the place works and also the impact it has on your life. Um, so it's it's good from that point of view, but I can understand why others, it would totally put them off ever going anywhere near it. But that, that was your driver though. Your driver was, you know, I'd, I'd like to be more involved in the actual decision-making rather than just the kind of policy development or what have you. Yeah, and like, you know, I was working before 2015 through periods where we thought we might form the next government. So even when things were starting to go south for Scottish Labour, there was still this sense, maybe we'll end up in government after 2015. And, you know, that was always, for me, at the, at the back of my head was always the reward for slogging away in opposition is that at some point in the future, we might end up in government, we can actually make things happen and change people's lives. And to have not had that <laughs> feels a little bit odd. And either, you know, either as a, as a, as a special advisor or, you know, being elected but it is that's what from my own politics this is why i went to work for the labor party i wanted to help them make good decisions that will help people and change their lives and you know that's what I, why i'd like to go on and be elected and hannah you've recently left your role as a spad has the last few years made you want to run as far as you can away from westminster <laughs> or are you trying to hurtle back and get prepared for 2024 and uh, and become the MP forever. James, I'm going on a long holiday. Um, <laughs> people who know me will know that I have very dark hair and I have so much grey hair from being a special advisor. Um, look, being a special advisor is great training uh, for becoming an MP. You see so much what not to do just as much as what to do. And I do think it's um, it's great for people that, uh, that do it and then go on to run. But I think personally for me, it's a long break and uh, maybe revisit in the future. That's maybe. So we might see Secretary uh, of State Gurin at some point. I mean, never say never, James. Never say never. I think for the sake of uh, our country, we will need to get confirmed, James. You're a former special advisor. Are you going to put your hat in the ring one day? I think someone that I worked for said that should never be inflicted on the public. Uh, was it someone, me? It, it was our mutual former boss. <laughs> uh, I think that pretty was... said it's something that shouldn't be inflicted on the people of this great country. I, I yeah, I, I think that's probably a, f a fair shout. But of course, who am I to say that? If you look at the the people, what people think of me, James. So you know, I'm not going to morally lecture you here. Well, I won't get into that. <laughs> um, I suppose the other side of the job, of course, is is helping layer policy now you'll have obviously both in the conservative and layer party research departments or or organizations that uh, can assist 
with helping you turn what's going on in the department into a political message or obviously announcement into a, a, an easy narrative for MPs to spin, whether in the chamber or in the uh, uh, in the media. How do you go about putting collating that together, working with those organisations, obviously supporting the party political element of what you're both doing? If I go to you, Hannah, first. Yeah, so whenever there's an announcement or anything that you're doing, even when you're developing policy, you definitely need to work really closely with um, with your with CCHQ in my in my uh, instance. Um, and they're great people. They will um, help give you that political insight, what's going on in the ground to help you build the policy. And then once you're in the department, you're then working with a lot of people, of course, your Secretary of State, you, your ministers, but the comms team within that to kind of help draw a narrative together and help and help put it all together. Some policies uh, are really well thought through. Some have been in development for a long time. Others um, actually need to come together really, really quickly just because of outside events and things that have happened. So some of the best policy I think that we've delivered has actually been because we've needed to do it, whether that be designing a visa scheme to help British nationals overseas come to the UK or you know, developing a sponsorship scheme practically overnight to help people come from Ukraine to the UK. So I think it really varies depending on what you're dealing with. Um, but I think, you know, obviously everyone is very, very important when it comes to uh, Parliament and also CTHQ to bring help bring things together in a, in a coherent way. And what about you, Martin? Obviously slightly different scenario because you're obviously not in a department, as you say, with civil servants. Yeah, so I think... It, I, I, maybe say a few things about this one is i think you need to distinguish an opposition between kind of policies and positions so you know there is a policy development process in opposition which involves the shadow cabinet involves party activists and you know that's trundling on in the background for four of the five years of a parliament say but what you've got on a daily basis are the government you know things that hannah's working on chucking out policies in all directions and you know as as a opposition party you're having to decide what's your position on this so actually most of the time in opposition on a day-to-day -day basis is spent deciding what your position is going to be with regards to what the government are doing um and in that you're relying on basically a very small number of people maybe your boss a couple of other shadow secretaries of state and you know maybe one or two people from the policy team and i think that's you know, just to kind of dispel the myth, like people who might be listening to this, I'm sure lots of people will know how parties work, but you know, when you're in opposition, you have you have such a small team, you know, not just around the shadow secretary of state, but even in your party headquarters. So, you know, people are always working at full full pelt to try and, you know, to just keep up with what's going on in addition to doing um to doing uh, policy making. I think the other thing to say, which I think is just important to bear in mind is as a as a Political advisor without the backing of a department, I relied a lot on external organisations. So, you know, whether that was umbrella groups, individual organisations, whoever, you know, who would come and you would get a sense very quickly of who are the people who are actually useful to give you technical advice. And that was actually very helpful. So, you know, if we would get an announcement in the defence space, you know, which a lot of which, you know, happened in Scotland a lot, I would have four or five people on, you know, from a range of views, I would able, be able to call externally and say, what do you think about this? And I think as an opposition advisor, having that kind of network um, of people outside of Parliament who are able to kind of provide their expertise is really, really important. And actually, it, it, they're able to kind of provide a view that a lot of the time the policy department or other politicians are not always able to provide. Hannah, last question for you, and it's a very short one. MPs always get the blame for leaks. How much can we blame special advisors? <laughs> it's never special advisors. Um, no, never, never. They don't speak to journalists, Jonathan. They never talk to the press, do they? they oh, absolutely journalists. not. It's all those MPs. Well, thank you both so much for taking us uh, inside the world of special advisors. I will leave listeners to decide whether or not 
uh, Martin and Hannah are the real Malcolm Tuckers. But th- thank you both for joining <laughs> us today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Inside Whitehall with me, Jonathan Gullis. And me, James Starkey. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please make sure that you follow and subscribe uh, however you're listening to us. Leave us a rating and a review. And you can follow us on Twitter and see what's coming up soon at Whitehall Pod UK. Whitehall Pod UK.